Hello and welcome to the Film Classification Podcast from the BBFC. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You must unlearn what you have learned. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. My name is James Blatch. This is podcast number 22, a look behind the scenes here in Soho Square at uh, what we do and how we do it at the British Board of Film Classification, now in our 102nd year, of course. Um, We are going to look at tone today, so it's an overarching uh, aspect of our work here and it is becoming increasingly important, actually, in the subtlety and the... Uh, some of the nuances of our work so we're going to delve into that with Karen Myers a little later on in the podcast and in a moment I'm going to be joined by Claire Shaw from Cine Magic who's going to talk to us about the work they do with uh, young people and the young people's film festivals that uh, emanate out of Belfast. Before then, let's look at a couple of news items. Uh, First of all, in terms of how the industry is doing, some mixed news I've noticed in the last couple of weeks. Transformers Age of Extinction, the latest from Michael Bay, the blockbuster for the summer, has overtaken Avatar's record as being the highest grossing film in China of all time and it did it in just 10 days. Uh, There is some Chinese tie-ins with the film of course but it's done uh, incredibly well in China. Having said that if we go uh, to the other side of the world to the United States of America actually it's the worst 4th of July box office since 1987. I mean that's inflation adjusted of course Uh, not actual figures but it's uh, not a good 4th of July for whatever reason and Transformers 4 was the top of the pick Uh, in the box office over the 4th of July weekend, but um, uh, not a great weekend for cinema in the United States. Not really sure why, and that's sort of bucking a trend because cinema has had a bit of a revival in the last couple of years. Um, uh, One more uh, news item, just two for this edition, and this is some good news actually for us. We can give ourselves a little pat on the back here at the BBFC because we have been recognised in an award uh, jointly with the Dutch regulator NICAM. We have received an award called the Comenius EduMedia Seal of Approval. Um, Now this is for a tool called You Rate It. It's an international tool for the classification of user-generated content, UGC. Uh, the tool's developed jointly by us and NICAM at the request of the Brussels-based CEO Coalition for making the internet a safer place for children. So a lot of work has gone into this tool, which can add on to web pages and allow this user-generated uh, database of uh, what's suitable and what's not and uh, how it gets flagged. And the clever thing about this tool, I can remember from the early days, of its development is that it's adaptable to different regions. So, uh, for instance, if language is an issue in your country, it'll show that. If it's not an issue in your country, um, then that doesn't need to flag the sort of traffic light system. So uh, an intelligent, adaptable tool and recognised by uh, the body that looks at digital trends and changes uh, in the market. So um, well done. Well done to us and NICAM uh, for that. And you can read more about that, of course, and all the latest news concerning the BBFC on our website. Now we're going to be talking about tone in this edition of the podcast. It's a huge issue that covers almost every aspect of what we do, but it's actually becoming more and more important in recent years. It adds some subtlety and nuance to the work that we do, and it's very much uh, about feeding back from concerns from the public. And horror in particular has been adjusted, I would say. The way that we've approached it is probably the biggest single change uh, in our last set of guidelines. So we're going to delve into that with Karen Myers in a few minutes. But before then, I'm going to talk about Cine Magic. Now, Cine Magic, 
which sounds like a wonderful uh, name, doesn't it? It's a Belfast-based organisation that produces a film festival for young people and it's done such a great job and it's such a, an important part of the cultural landscape uh, in Northern Ireland. It's actually expanding its work and its remit across to the United Kingdom and it's all about inspiring children and young people to get them involved in the film industry but give them a realistic uh, idea of what that actually involves. And I was lucky enough to catch up with the press and publicity officer for Cinemagic, Claire Shaw. Claire, let's start with the basics then. So what is Cinemagic? Okay, well Cinemagic is a children's film and television festival and the aim of the festival is to educate, motivate and inspire young people through the medium of film and television. And it's been going some time. It's been going 25 years now, which is incredible. Um, and this year we are uh, delivering a number of events to mark the 25th anniversary, with Cinemagic London being one of those events. And it's worth mentioning right from the outset that we've had quite a long relationship with Cinemagic here at the BBFC. And uh, I know in recent years shown films like Juno, Wreck-It Ralph, Coraline, Warm Bodies, all these films that are interesting ones for children to talk about, just to bring a slightly different dimension to the, uh, the festival. That's right. We have had a great relationship with BBFC over the last number of years, specifically in relation to our film education programme. And we're finding that schools are really interested in discussing film and especially subjects like classification. And young people do want to find out the whole process behind film classification, why uh, films get the certificates they, that they do. And Cinemagic encourages debate and discussion and that's why we love working with BBFC because it provides a great opportunity to do this um, and also around current topics and current films. Claire, people could probably tell from your accent that you're in Northern Ireland based organisation. Just explain, because you're here in London at the moment, explain how your geographic role works. Sure, so Cinemagic is a Belfast-based and Belfast-born organisation. We've been running in Belfast for 25 years and we deliver film education and industry masterclass events throughout all of Northern Ireland with our base being in Belfast. Um, and over the last number of years, Cinemagic has actually expanded to Dublin and to New York and LA, which I'll talk about in a little while. And then this summer is London. And really, we have been working with people like yourselves and other industry partners for, you know, a number of years. And they've been coming to Belfast and sharing their expertise and skills with young people in Northern Ireland. But we decided this year to come to London and make it even easier for people to get involved, you know, from the industry side of things um, and spend a few hours with young people at venues like BFI Southbank, at Barbican at Cineworld Haymarket and inviting young people into these venues that yes they may have been to before but we're giving them a unique experience um, and an added value experience with industry professionals talking at the events, giving them the opportunity to network with other filmmakers and really give them an insight to the whole industry that is on their doorstep in London. So this is not just going along to watch a film or even just watch an introduction to a film maybe from somebody. There's, there's a lot more to this. It's actually meeting and hands-on in terms of the industry. That's true and it's so important that young people see as many films as possible but in addition to that we offer a practical insight and a practical look um, at the industry. So for example today we had a fantastic event with, event with BAFTA Children's and young people were able to find out about the behind the scenes areas of things like puppeteering animation, TV presenting and really sort of find out you know how many hours it takes to create an animation, um, you know how long it takes to create puppets 
um, the years sometimes that people have to sort of work hard at to become a TV presenter and just find out all the sort of background information and the behind the scenes information before a film or a TV programme is even on the screens. Um, so it's been really enjoyable educating young people and, and giving them that experience um, as well as providing a film programme as well um, for people to enjoy. Finding out how many years it takes to become an overnight success. Absolutely, that's right. And what that's the thing about Cinemagic is that we don't promise that you know doing a Cinemagic event or a workshop that you'll get instant um, fame or success. Um, it's really teaching young people about the reality of the business that if you do really want it and you really want to work in that industry there's a lot of hard work that goes in and, and a, a large percentage of luck but you know it's 99% hard work and I think talking to people like BBFC even in the rules that um, exist in the industry it makes it really real for young people and even just giving them a chance to find out about other um, careers like not just acting and directing and writing you know the traditional things that people know about but things like costume design for example um, going further into things like uh, film production um, film editing and all the behind the scenes um, activity as well so it's really about educating young people about the rules so maybe you want to be a costume designer but you can start by becoming like a wardrobe assistant for example um, and you may want to be a tv presenter or a film director but you can start off by um, you know getting in through like being a production assistant or a runner um, and we really rely on supportive industry professionals to tell it how it is as mm -hmm. well as talking about all the enjoyable aspects and the many um, benefits of working in the industry that it is a difficult industry to break into but if we can sort of show them the different routes that are available and let young people find out about you know alternative ways into the industry um, you know it's making it a little bit more accessible to young people rather than it being something that's unattainable and you know thinking that that's only for somebody else to achieve. So it is inspirational with a reasonably good dose of reality in there as well there's no point simply in giving people a false idea that they're going to wander onto the set of a Star Wars Episode 7 at, at Pinewood and get a job. Yeah, that's it. And I think young people are savvy today and they know that it's, it's not necessarily like that. Like, and yes, there are lots of reality TV shows and uh, programmes and films that, you know, people maybe do become an overnight success from. But um, this is about really showing young people that the creative industries are a viable, you know, career to get into. Um, it does take years of hard work in whatever area that is, um, you know, to become a success. But if young people have a talent, um, you know, Cinemagic want to nurture that and show, you know, there are ways of, you know, really achieving success through, you know, finding out about the different roles in the industry and, and really working hard. OK, well, looking forward then to the autumn, Claire, you're obviously in London today. And what have you got coming up that people could get involved with? Okay, so we're delighted to be working again with BBFC in the autumn and every year we get such a great response from schools in Northern Ireland um, about BBFC and really opening up that whole area which is such a fascinating area for the film industry um, and then uh, that'll be part of our, our school's education programme and then we have lots of master classes and workshops similar to what we did in London but on a, a bigger scale because it is our 25th anniversary um, we have a film camp happening and we also have a very 
exciting um, initiative that runs every year and this year we want to make it bigger and better than ever before and that's our young film juries. So we select young people every year to become the festival jury members. Um, the young ones are called Cine Seekers and the older teenagers are called Cine Focus and they watch all of the in-festival competition movies and give us their feedback um, and they really tell us you know, what they liked about the movies, what they didn't like and we guide them in the whole process of film reviewing as well. So they have a big job to actually pick the festival uh, winners um, and it's a fantastic opportunity for them to see world cinema and to see movies that they normally wouldn't see in their multiplex and it's just fascinating to see young people engage with different films from around the world and to find out more about world culture and lots of uh, sort of focus on the different social issues that really come up in you know youth films as well so we're excited about finding our young film critics for the autumn time this year. That sounds great Grant. Uh, I have to say I love the idea of film camp. Yes. As a kid I would have fallen over to get to something like that so yeah, what, what an opportunity. Absolutely and it's great because young people come together you know they stay together for the three or five days and they all sort of have a shared goal to focus on and you know they have maybe three or five days to, to create a short film from concept right through to screen um, because the turnaround is very quick and again that's showing them the reality of the business um, you know not always will a film need to be produced in five days but it's showing them things like teamwork and working you know to deadlines and limited resources sometimes so it's a great challenge that we set for the young people and they always succeed amazingly um, and produce fantastic content from it. So that was Claire Shaw, Press and Marketing Officer for Cine Magic, and uh, talking about their International Film Television Festival for Young People. Fantastic work they do based out of Belfast. And if uh, you have school children in the UK anywhere, keep a lookout because they are clearly expanding their role uh, across the whole country. And uh, very welcome that is too. We will continue, of course, to work with them as well. Right, let's move on to our main subject for this podcast, number 22 from the BBFC. We are going to talk about tone, um, which is a small word, uh, but it means a lot. I'm joined by Karen Myers, one of the examiners here. Karen, how long have you been at the BBFC now? I've now been here for 10 years as an examiner. Okay, 10 years. You joined a little bit before me. Yeah, a little bit before you. Experienced in the field. I think so now. 10 years of watching a lot of film and video. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's talk about tone. Um, uh, of course, people very quickly latch on to the very definable aspects of our work. People often ask me if we count how many times people swear, for yes. instance, which we do, uh, uh, and so on. But this is actually something that over has an overarching effect on our decisions, doesn't it? So can you perhaps explain to start off with what we mean by tone? Yes, I think probably tone is one of the terms that we use in our guidelines that's, that can sometimes be quite difficult to, to define. Um, I looked up the closest dictionary definition that I could find for how we mean tone is the general aspect, quality or style of something. So by tone we generally mean the overall feeling or style of a film which might affect the final classification given to that work. So for example something like uh, specific issues such as uh, sex or violence might not felt to be felt to be particularly problematic at one category but if that work also has a dark or slightly unsettling tone, something that maybe has the potential to scare or upset a viewer, um, then that might receive a slightly higher classification. So there's an emotional aspect to this, the emotional impact a film might have on you that the director is trying to achieve through it by, I mean, all the other 
cinematic techniques like lighting and weather and all sorts of things. We can think of films like Seven, maybe, where the tone is set in part by the weather and the way they lit it, as well as some fairly disturbing on-screen imagery. Images, yeah. But that's what we're talking about with tone. Yeah, overall, we're, we're generally talking about how the audience, how the work makes the audience feel. It's its impact on that particular viewer. So I think maybe if you think about uh, horror films, um, the sense of threat or a dark, and I said before, unsettling tone, which might have more of an impact on the classification than uh, any actual level, detailed levels of violence that you see. So you might not see much in terms of a person being hurt or killed, but because the film itself has um, a threatening feel throughout, that might affect the classification. And of course, there's an ages-old argument in the art world about what you conceal and what you reveal. And you say you may not be able to see very much, but of course everyone knows the cleverest directors won't show you stuff. In fact, Seven's another good example of that, isn't it? Very famously, what you don't see actually sets a more disturbing tone sometimes. So uh, a subtlety to our work when you're sitting there watching it. Absolutely. It it can be something that, like I said, it's difficult to define uh, in words, but also it's something that you you tend to feel when you're watching the film. I mean, we as examiners are audience as well so the film has an impact on us and when we start to feel that that is particularly uh, uh, impactful and, and, and serious and becoming too scary too upsetting then that will um, help us move the classification up the category scale. Okay so um, in terms of public reaction to tone is this a concept the public understand when we talk to them? Um, yes I think when we did the last review of the BBFC guidelines back in 2013 so last year um, the public research suggested that uh, both theme and tone were very much live uh, classification issues people tended to talk more about the theme but when we kind of unpicked that with them it was obvious that they were also uh, talking about the tone and it was particular concern um, and interest around the borderline between the 12A and the uh, 15 uh, categories yeah I can imagine um so we know at lower categories generally the concerns are, are greater from parents and 12 and twelve to 15 is the bit where parents are juggling with all sorts of um, uh, transitions in their children. Yes, I think with, with parents of the youngest children, um, one of the things that they were most concerned about was that they didn't really want to uh, to have films that would alter their children's perception of the world as being you know, a happy, uh, safe, benevolent place where there might be moments that are a little bit scary but usually they have a happy ending. So everybody comes out of a film, uh, you know, uh, happy and unharmed. Um, so parents of really young children were, were, were concerned about that. Um, but then as we got into the higher category, so around the 12A15, uh, parents were especially concerned about uh, the mental well-being of their young teenagers. So they were concerned about films that might have such a dark tone that they would uh, prove disturbing and stay with that uh, that viewer for a long time so particularly in, t- in terms of things like supernatural elements where young teenagers may not be aware or uh, convinced that these things are real or fake so uh, there's a potential for uh, these images and for ideas to stay with uh, young teenagers for a while and parents are really concerned about preserving the uh, the kind of mental well-being of their, of their younger teenagers. And it's worth pointing out that one of the tools in our in our bag, if you like, is not just the classification itself, but uh, the BBFC Insights, both the short bit that goes on the poster and the longer blurb that will go on the website. And we do have an option there and occasionally use it to 
to even refer to an unsettling tone if it's a classification issue, particularly again at that 12 and 15 area? Yes, one of the things that, um, that came out again of the research was that, um, that parents particularly wanted um, a psychological threat to be flagged up in uh, insight. So not just where uh, horror films perhaps or thrillers where there was moderate or... Um, strong threat in terms of physical activity but when there was uh, psychological issues such as supernatural things such as uh, exorcisms ghost stories those kind of things which might have a, a more uh, scary impact on people in terms of uh, what they believe is real or not um, then they wanted uh, psychological impact to be included in the insight yeah so i guess if some kids go from watching most haunted on uh, tv to some of the paranormal activity type style films that's a bit of a jump isn't it and uh... it, it is yes I mean, one of the uh, one of the issues as well was obviously is that uh, for very young children uh, I, I was uh, thinking about this yesterday and in, in terms of uh, cartoons you know kids kids are used to watching scary elements in in cartoons um, such as uh, scooby-doo for example um, but usually by the end of that cartoon we've found out that those uh, those ghosts and ghouls aren't really ghosts and ghouls at all. They are actually characters who are dressed up thanks to those pesky kids. Yeah. We find that out. But obviously as you get higher into the categories where, where films are more, um, especially nowadays with a lot of found footage film where you're encouraged to believe that the, the films we're watching are based either on true stories or actually showing uh, real footage of exorcisms and ghost stories, then um, that is... Uh, pushing the category uh, classification up a little bit. Okay, so it's that swift resolution that we've talked to talked about before when it comes to uh, children's films in particular. Um, so how do we reflect this in our guidelines? You say we got this feedback in 2013, which we identified was really a tone issue that the public were talking to us about. How's that translated itself? Well, when we uh, think about our guidelines, tone is actually considered under what we call our general classification classification considerations that's a hard one to say um, um, and they're taking into account when viewing any work and with examiners paying attention to the tone and uh, general impact of the work at any classification level um, but we also refer to tone very specifically in our guidelines um, at the specific category levels from U up to 18 um, so talking about the uh, the junior categories um, we say that you um, at you we can have any scary or potentially unsettling scenes but they should be mild and they should be brief and not likely to cause um, undue anxiety or upset to uh, to young children. So uh, we talk about the outcome of any scary scenes should be reassuring. So again, it's that Scooby-Doo yeah. uh, example. And that's quite a good amount of detail because one of the issues, I suppose, if, you, if I try and think about this from an industry point of view as well, you're a director who's setting out to make a film. Um, whilst you can, again, the quantifiable aspects of language and sex and violence fairly well understood, and there's a good set of precedents out there just by looking at how we classify films. But then we give ourselves an option with tone to say, actually, this is going to go up a category because we, we deem it. So I think fleshing that detail out is helpful, not just to reassure parents and give them a good guide, but actually for future directors to understand what sort of thing is going to going to end up in the wrong category if they're not careful. Yeah, uh, we, we, we don't say, as with all of our category um, and uh, categories and uh, classification issues we don't say that you can't have any of these things at specific categories what we do say is if they're a certain level um if they become too much for one category we'll move them up to the next category so if you if you go beyond the the mild and brief scary scenes at you you'll be going up towards a pg okay so do we have some examples of films that maybe where tone was the the aspect that pushed them over the category border um, yes, I mean we looked um, during our recent guidelines research when we were uh, talking to the public. We obviously um, we obviously give them some examples of films to have a look at, and one of the uh, one of the ones we looked at um, at the uh, at the 
borderline 12A15 uh, category borderline um, was the uh, was the woman in black, which was classified at 12A. Um, and it, um, I mean, it's, it's a well-known film. It stars uh, Daniel Radcliffe um, as a solicitor who goes to a house to deal with a uh, will and um, is uh, is followed by various supernatural happenings um, involving um, the death of some children. Um, and when we showed this to the uh, people taking part in our uh, public's consultation research, we found that actually 11% of people who were questioned um, disagreed with the 12A, which is you know is a is a low proportion of people out of um, out of those we asked, but it, it did reflect a concern that the disturbing tone of the film uh, was just too much for for younger children. And also, uh, even at the higher, slightly higher categories, I mean, we look back to uh, two thousand and seven, for example, um, the Will Smith film um, I Am Legend. Um, at the time, there was a discussion within the BBFC about whether a 12A classification might be possible for that particular feature. Um, as well, there were some violent scenes. There was no especially bloody or, or strong detail. Um, but in the end, the 15 was agreed upon um, on the grounds that the film has a particularly bleak and rather pessimistic tone. And it was also set in a recognisable real world. Uh, it, in this case, it was uh, New York after a virus had either killed everyone or or turned them into uh, ravenous mutants. Um, so it had a recognisable real-world tone, um, and it was felt that just the, the dark and unsettling nature of it was just a little too strong for the 12A, um, so it went up to 15. And I can think of an example of a work that maybe started to flirt up that way, but actually was contained at 12, which is Contagion. Uh, again, real-world aspect to it, some fairly grim scenery in there, but a very well-told story and actually almost education in the way that it sets out um, a sequence of events, and less perhaps of the drama and entertainment that comes with I Am Legend, which in some ways weakens that argument for, for an adolescent audience. Yes, um, and uh, another film that we, we looked at um, back in 2012 was a, a subtitled uh, Belgian drama, uh, called Our Children, um, and the film follows a young mother as she has a bit of an emotional breakdown um, that has devastating consequences for the for the family. Um, unfortunately, it's a bit of a spoiler, but yeah. uh, in the crucial scenes at the end of the film, it's implied that the mother takes her children uh, one by one from the room where they're happily watching television, um, and she takes them off and she she kills them. Uh, the 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 deaths ha occur entirely off screen. You see absolutely nothing of the um, of the of the deaths, and you don't even see the, the children's bodies at all afterwards. Um, so, in many cases, that lack of detail would have meant that the those uh, scenes could have been contained at twelve a. However, the emotional build up to the sequence throughout the entire film um, means that it has a really significant impact on the viewer emotionally. Um, and it has a really strong potential to cause um, distress. So that was what secured it. It's 15 in the end. It wasn't a detail. It was purely the emotional uh, impact of those particular scenes. Okay. Um, that's great for the examples. Thank you very much indeed, Karen. And I think there's just one perhaps footnote to this, is, is that horror, because of its complexity in its own area, really, we've used some of the feedback on tone we've had from the public to try and give some more, to enhance basically our horror guidelines. Yes, I mean, the latest research suggested that linking horror with issues such as theme and tone would address the complexity of all three of those issues because they are very difficult to, to separate out from each other. Um, so actually in the publication of the latest guidelines, um, horror is no longer a separate um, issue heading um, by itself. Instead, when we're examining horror works, 
um, we, we examine them against all of the guideline headings for that particular category, so threat and violence, um, uh, and tone becomes involved in all of those things. Um, and both threat and violence and horror all can relate to and are affected by the tone and the overall impact of the work as a whole. Great. Karen Myers, thank you very much indeed. Finally got you on the podcast. <laughs> yes, we got only, to 22 before you uh, only finally... Took, only took 10 years, James. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dragged in. We haven't been going that long, even, <laughs> even if you have. Um, that's great. Thank you very much. That's uh, a really good uh, delve into tone, and uh, it's a, an issue that runs across the, uh, the guidelines, of course. Uh, you can, of course, read our guidelines, which are on the, uh, the website, bbfc.co.uk. So that's it for 22. My thanks to Claire Shaw from Cinemagic for popping in and to Karen, of course, for helping us through tone and to our editor, Catherine Anderson, and we will see you next time. Goodbye.